Hope everybody's doing well. Welcome to another episode of In and Around Pleasant Hill with Alex Cotedad. I'm excited today to be interviewing uh, Ken Carlson. He's actually a good friend of mine, and his story is very interesting. And as you all know, you know, our, uh, I do these interviews to talk to ordinary people doing extraordinary things, and he's actually one of them. So with that said, Ken, let's just right get into it and let let us first know a little about you and your background, please. Well, Alex, thanks first for having me. It's great to be here with you. And I do consider you a friend. And so it's kind of sad we're doing this on Zoom. I love being with you and do this in person, but we'll make the best of what we got, right? That's right. So yeah, I, uh, I'm born and bred Contra Costa. So I grew up here. I was, I'm not going to say how old I am, but I was born uh, and grew up in Concord initially. So I did a couple of years of elementary school over there. My dad worked for Bechtel Corporation. So over the course of my lifetime, we got to transfer around a little bit, mostly Southern California and Northern California. So back in junior high, I returned to Pleasant Hill uh, from a stint in Southern California and went to junior high and high school right here in Pleasant Hill. And I consider this my hometown. This is where I grew up. You know, those formative years of junior high and high school are so important. Um, and then, you know, as a, as a young man, uh, I did go off to college. I also went off to Korea and did some missionary work and, and taught English over in Korea, which was in a tremendously exciting experience. It was at a, a dynamic time in Korea. They were getting ready for the 88 Olympics. So everyone in Korea wanted to learn English. And, you know, this was before the big technology boom where Samsung and, and all the auto companies, Hyundai and all those took off. Um, so it was really exciting. I actually had the pleasure of doing a Samsung refrigerator commercial when I was in Korea, believe wow. it or not. My little stint wow. on uh, TV, it was kind of fun. Um, but, you know, I after college, I returned again back home here was working on my master's degree, looking for a part-time job. And I got hired by the Concord Police Department to be a parking enforcement officer. Run around town and make everybody happy by writing parking tickets, right? Nobody loves those more. Um, but over the course of that, just within a few short months, they offered me a full-time position as a police officer. And I went off to the police academy. And I served at the Concord Police Department for over 29 years wow. in a variety of assignments, everything from a patrol officer to a crisis negotiator, uh, traffic investigator, motorcycle officer, um, and I retired in 2017. And I was extremely active in the community over there um, when it came to law enforcement. <clears throat> One of the exciting things I really did enjoy was uh, a brief stint where I was uh, given the privilege of supervising our school resource officers and the work that they did to engage the community and our youth was really impressive to me. And that was kind of a highlight of, of part of my career. Um, but then, you know, I, I grew up uh, right here, like I say, and in the early 60s, well, it wasn't the early 60s, let's say the mid 60s, my grandfather ran for the board of supervisors and was elected in 1966. 
So I've been on the campaign trail and interested in politics and community service since way back then as a, as a four-year-old on the campaign trail. And uh, that carried over into my adulthood, you know, through Boy Scouts and service to the community like that. I just continue to want to serve. And so in 2012, I threw my hat in the ring and ran for the Pleasant Hill City Council. And it has been truly a privilege to serve on the Pleasant Hill City Council, uh, working for the citizens of Pleasant Hill for the last decade now. <clears throat> and again, I, I love the work I do. There's so many amazing things that come out of that uh, to, to serve the broader community. Um, I brag uh, a little bit about one of my assignments back in the uh, 90s, late 90s, uh, the Mount Iowa Hospital District was looking to merge with John Muir Hospital. And out of that merger agreement came what's called the John Muir Community Health Fund, which is a grant making body. It was part of the merger agreement that John Muir would create this and it would be an autonomous group, but John Muir would give them a million dollars a year to grant to local uh, community groups and nonprofits who focused in on healthcare access for those who had no insurance or underinsured, those in our marginalized populations that struggled with healthcare issues. And as part of that organization, Pleasant Hill being a member of the healthcare district, we have two representatives on the board of the community health fund. And so I have served in that capacity. I actually just termed out. I did eight years serving on that board uh, as a council member. And uh, because I didn't want to leave, even though I turned out, we created an advisory board just so I could stay on and stay involved. And, you know, there's just so many exciting things. I could talk for hours. So if you got a specific question, you're going to have to hit me with it, too. Oh, I want to I want to keep hearing them. These are all the extraordinary things that you've done. So please keep going. Well, and I'm just following your lead in some respects, right, with uh, the backpack drive that you do for the Family Justice Center. Uh, that's another board that I get to serve on that has taught me so many things. You know, when I uh, we talk about health care, we talk uh, about victim assistance and support for those that are victims of interpersonal violence organizations like uh, the Family Justice Center is just an amazing coalition of our nonprofit community. Um, one of the things, you know, so in 2013, I was uh, given the, the council assignment of serving on the board of the Community Health Fund. And initially, the work we did, we were supporting our nonprofit partners. So an organization would come in and say, hey, we want to do an initiative that will bring access to healthcare to our, our marginalized community. Um, and we quickly found that we were finding many of our nonprofit partners were very siloed. They were overlapping in services, but they weren't working together. And uh, as we did this work, we quickly found that, you know, we can do more by creating partnerships, getting those who are doing similar services are reaching the same populations in different ways that we can overlap. And so we move from supporting these siloed organizations to creating partnerships. Um, and there's some that are just amazing that we have supported over the course of the last decade. Um, one I'm really proud of is we were, we were contacted by many of our senior uh, skilled nursing facilities and, and those organizations saying, we don't have enough healthcare workers. 
And as I get older, this is a bigger fear of mine is, is are there going to be people who are in the healthcare field that are going to be able to take care of the volume of population that are that are entering the systems? And we quickly found that's that's not the case. So we uh, we work with our, our nonprofit partners, uh, Empowered Aging, Opportunity Junction, Mount Diablo Adult Ed, um, even our private skilled nursing facilities joined in, uh, the food bank, loaves and fishes. And so what we, we did was we created this pathway for some of our marginalized populations to get back into the workforce and to serve in the healthcare industry. So we created the CNA program and it's really more than that. It's, um, it's a career pathway. So you start out as a CNA, but the goal is to get you up to being a, a registered nurse, a physician's assistant, depending on how we can make this happen. But we started this program and we reached out to single moms looking to get back into the workforce. And the way we could support them in doing that was one, providing them the education, but true, the, two, the support that they need at home. You know, they're, they're suffering from food insecurity. Okay, we're gonna make sure you have a hot lunch. Loaves and fishes is gonna feed you every day at school. Um, we're gonna make sure that you have food. So the food bank is gonna provide you groceries to take home to support your family so you can stay in school and you don't have all these fears over your head. So over the course of what's been three plus years now, we've graduated 95 CNAs through that program. Every awesome. one of them got certified. They passed all their certification testing. They're all employed. They're actually being employed at a higher rate than normal entry-level CNAs. Um, they're getting signing bonuses because there's so, so much need out there. Um, but the program was so successful that with the surpluses in the state budget in the last cycles, the governor allocated an additional $5 million dollars for us to see that program out into five additional counties in the state, because we are in desperate need of healthcare workers. So same thing with the Family Justice Center, you know, creating those partnerships, those one-stop shops to get all of the, the needs of our victims of interpersonal violence, whether they're facing housing issues, food issues, childcare issues, victim assistance, legal assistance, all these things, the Family Justice Center has brought all those partners together so it's a one-stop shop, which is much more efficient than what we've been doing in the past. So see, these are just some of the things I get really excited about in working on uh, when it comes to the county or the, the work we're doing here in the city of Pleasant Hill, <laughs> let alone across uh, the region. Then what we can talk about some, Pleasant Hill. Yeah, what has been some of the challenges? And, you know, you've been a city councilman for the last 10 years. I mean, we've seen, you know, homelessness and housing Talk about that. What, you know, what is the, I know everything comes down from the state to a city level, but like, what are we doing at a city level to hopefully try to accommodate with the homeless, you know, um, issues um, and also um, housing? Yeah. So on homeless, um, it's a challenge because we are a small town and we don't have the city infrastructure. So we do rely on the county to support us in those endeavors. But here in Pleasant Hill, we have created a community resource officer whose who's really specific goal is to reach out to the homeless and partner with what's our, our community outreach team from the county, the core team. Um, you know, and this is why I got to tell you, this is why I'm running for the Board of Supervisors. You know, we, we send the core team out, 
Um, there are those who want the services that the core team can provide. The problem is there's no shelter beds. There's no housing. So, I mean, there's so... Let's go back to the community health fund. When we talked about the community health fund and some of the goals we wanted to accomplish, we look at what's called the social determinants of health. It's not just access to healthcare, it's access to food and housing and all these things that impact your life that that lead you to into homelessness and or ill health, you know, poor health outcomes. Yeah. Well, I look at it the same way when it comes to housing, homelessness, economic disparities. We need to address those issues, uh, gaps in our education system, gaps in our healthcare system, gaps in our housing that lead people to be on the streets and homeless, uh, inadequate mental health care, inadequate substance abuse care. These are the gaps we need to fill that will really help do that. So we have created this community resource officer to outreach and coordinate with the core team who will get our homeless into services if that's what they desire. Uh, the problem is there's just not enough shelter beds. There's not enough housing. We don't have enough housing in general. Yeah, I know. I know that for a fact. Yeah. Um, now, what has, <laughs> I know, you know, I was on a Zoom while back and you guys were talking about how the state had said you guys need to come up with 1800 more new homes within certain amount of can you talk about that a little bit like what's what's going to happen and moving forward in the next what is it the 20 year plan or the 40 yeah. year plan or yeah our, our, our we're in the process of up, updating our general plan which is yep. a 20 year forward look of the yes. you know the future of pleasant hill within that every eight years uh, the state mandates that we do what's called a housing element, and we look at housing opportunities where we could build housing if the right person or developer or the program came forward. Well, this this last this cycle we're moving into now, and it's changed dynamically based on what Sacramento has done. Yes, our allocation based on, and it's our regional housing needs allocation. It comes through a methodology done by a variety of sources, but this year, uh, for the next eight-year cycle, right. we are required to allocate enough space and housing for 1,800 units. And that's across all income levels, from extremely low to above market rate housing. Remember, the city does not build housing. So we all we can do is look around the city and say, where are there opportunity sites? And then we need to try and entice developers and builders and partners to come in and actually do it. But 1,800 units is a lot of units. That is especially in, Ple especially in Pleasant Hill, correct? Yes. And that's 300% yeah. that's increase over what we faced the previous I cycle. I know. Now, Ken, I'm, I'm seeing a lot of, you know, most cities when they're building, they're not building too much single family resident. They're building more of a mixed use where you got commercial in the bottom and you got op op uh, uh, apartments on the top. Is that what the state is asking you guys when they're saying 1,800? Are they telling you guys to build 1,800 single-family resident, condos? What are they, what? They, you know, they, frankly, they don't care. It is flat out create 1,800 housing units. Okay. Um, and that could be, like I say, a variety. Um, we find ourselves just simply on the geography of Pleasant Hill. We don't have, we're, we're pretty much built out. So we have choices. 
can we build up? And again, you have a history in Pleasant Hill. We don't like to have tall buildings. To put up a 10-story apartment building yeah. is not going to go over well in our community, but I don't think we need to either. So what we do is we do look at mixed use. Um, and I'm, I'm pro-mixed use. I think mixed use is a great way to go. Um, and it would be something like, yes, ground level retail um, or, or office. And then you go two or three stories and you apartments or condo type living. Um, generationally, uh, our, younger, our younger folks, that's kind of how they want to live. They want to be in the middle of where their entertainment, their food, their transportation, all, all needs, all access kind of thing. Um, so we looked around the city and we looked along our, our transportation corridors, um, our main arterial roadways, where could we do that kind of development? And that's what we're working on right now in the general plan and the housing element is rezoning some of those areas that might be strictly retail business to mixed use. So that you get both um, because we are a sales tax based city. We really need to worry about that type of infrastructure. We need retail, we need business for, because we don't get a lot of money out of our property tax. It all comes from our sales tax revenue. So we have to be very conscientious that we don't kill our sales tax revenue and we continue to be viable in that sense. So right. we'll be looking at much more mixed use. It's really interesting because I did live, like I say, in Korea many years ago, you live in a 20 story uh, uh, apartment complex or yep. a building, a standalone building, and it might be five of them. <clears throat> but every one of those buildings on the ground floor was everything you actually needed. There would be a restaurant, there would be a dry cleaner, there would be a supermarket, there would be everything you need. So essentially, you could go to the ground floor and, and do your business yep. and be able to live and survive in your apartment complex. We're not culturally, we're not quite there yet. We've seen a lot of these mixed uses in our suburban neighborhoods or, or suburban towns not be as successful. Yep. So Now, also, um, I believe our go uh, governor signed into law last year, SB9, that you can take your home and split it into two parcel. At, at a city level, is um, City of Pleasant Hill, are you guys embracing this? I wouldn't say we're embracing it. It's again, it's another one of those mandates out of Sacramento that we have we have to live with. So okay. we we have to find a way to make it work because it is the law. Um, we don't necessarily have a lot of projects. So the interesting thing about SB nine is you can do it if you're a private owner of that property, yep. but a commercial developer can't come in buy up a single family lot and decide they're going to do a, a lot split under SB9 and create two new housing units plus two new ADUs. So essentially on my little, I don't know, I think I have a 10,000 square foot lot. I live in an R10 zone, but essentially, yes, you know, I could split my lot, build two homes and two ADUs and you suddenly have, you know, in your quiet little neighborhood, four units. So there are some things that the, the, the state has mandated that are very challenging, but we really don't have much choice. We have to. We so, have to so, but then do, is there still any hearings on that? Like, because of the fact that state is, it's, it's a law now. Dude, if somebody wants to do that in the city of Pleasant Hill, do they still have to go through the planning department, go through a hearing, or they don't have to do none of that anymore? It's essentially ministerial. So it's essentially like, hey, I want to do a remodel. 
Um, and it, there's nothing that would force me to take it to architectural review or okay. planning. Okay. Um, our zoning administrator reviews it and approves it. Um, it's very, yeah. it's very streamlined. Are you seeing, are you seeing people doing it, Ken, like tr applying for it and then splitting their, a lot? We haven't seen an actual project yet. Okay. However, we've had probably a half a dozen to six to nine inquiries about doing okay. a lot split. Okay. And, and we're going to see them. I mean, it, it's, it's going to happen. Okay. Um, hopefully it, it happens in a way that's cohesive with the Pleasant Hill character. And that's, that's what we want to do. Let's talk about some of your accomplishments <laughs> that you've done in the last 10 years as a city councilman. You know, we will tell us about that. What, what have you done that you feel good about, especially now that you're running for the County supervisor? You know, I'm really proud when we, when I came on uh, to city council, uh, one of the things I ran on was fiscal sustainability. We were coming out of the uh, economic downturn of the mid 2000, you know, so um, it was, do we have a long-term financial plan? You know, we need to think out 10 years down the road. That was one part of it. The other was balancing the budget, make sure we're not running in a deficit. And then number three was we need a strong fiscal reserve because We've all lived it. I mean, I've seen everything from the oil embargo of the 70s and gas prices and gas lines <clears throat> to what we saw in the early 2000s to what we're experiencing here now with inflation and interest rates going up. So uh, I wanted to see us have a strong fiscal reserve. And over the course of the last decade, we've implemented a 10-year financial plan. We have balanced the budget every year. Every budget cycle, it has been a balanced budget, and we have built a reserve of over $10 million. Wow. So mind you, Pleasant Hill's budget, we're a small town, but our budget is about $30 million. To have a $10 million reserve wow. is really is something to be very proud of. But when you drive around the, the city, or you look at the services we provide, or you look at what's happened over the last decade, you have not seen our roads deteriorate. You have not seen our services cut back. Um, we're moving forward. We're going to be opening the library at the end of the week, right? Yes, I'm so excited about that. Yep. We we have continued to maintain all of the essential services at a high level. Um, we haven't made cutbacks. Okay, just because we want to pinch a penny and put it in reserves, so therefore we're going to cut services or we're going to cut what we're doing. None of that has occurred. And that's something that very few cities, I have friends across the Bay Area in elected office who consistently tell me, if I could just get my council to get on board with your financial policies you have in Pleasant Hill, we wouldn't be facing the deficits we're facing. We wouldn't be having short shortages in our reserves. We wouldn't be facing all these challenges. And they were facing them in the good years that we were having over the last you know, six, eight years now. So um, we've got sound fiscal policies. Again, the library, uh, and and that really, there's, there's, it's the community who's responsible for that library. When we brought uh, Measure K forward, which was increase in sales tax, it hurts. You know, the citizens supported Measure K, got us the money, the library, again, within budget, within our time frame, despite COVID, uh, an amazing staff. You know, we have an amazing group at City Hall. Yeah. Really just stayed on top of this project 
And I'm, I am, I'm, I'm really excited because when you go around Contra Costa County, um, there are cities who want new libraries or at yeah. least to remodel what they have. Yeah. And they're not in a position to do it. Um, right. we, we're just really fortunate. And it just comes down to the community that Pleasant Hill is. And again, this is why I'm here. Um, I grew up here. Yeah. Um, and it just, it draws you back. You want to be here. And that's why generationally, you know, when you look at our demographics, people come to Pleasant Hill, they don't leave. They've been yeah. here for oh, yeah. You know? Oh, yeah. Yeah. We have great schools here, too. So, Ken, running as a county supervisor, what are you going to do? to hopefully change things around? Well, we got a lot of work to do. Again, it's, um, we talked about the homelessness issue and that, and there's more to it than just people being unhoused. There's, uh, you know, social services. We have 2000 openings within our employment and staffing across the county. So that means we're short on social workers. We're short on healthcare workers. Um, we've got to fill those gaps. Actually, it's it's funny you say that because when you drive on Highway 680, right before you get off on North Main Street, there's a big billboard that says, we're hiring, we're like 2,000 short. I, I've seen that billboard. Yep. Yeah, and, and, and so it is. It's We need healthcare workers. We need uh, social workers. We need mental health workers. And the hard part too is, there aren't people necessarily moving into those lines of work. So we've got to look at other career pathways. How are we going to get people and especially bilingual people yeah. into those fields that we can hire? And then we have to do the, here comes my labor hat, you know, because quite often Contra Costa County is the training ground for other counties. So we're not paying our workers enough to keep them. So and I used to kind of pull this stunt when I was a police officer. People would come to me and say, hey, how do I get hired at Concord? Uh, we're full up, sorry. Um, but I'll tell you the best secret is go work for the county, <laughs> go work for a smaller agency, let them train you for two or three years, and then we're going to welcome you on board. <laughs> um, and that's what's happening in Contra Costa County. You know, even in our DA's office, they're, they're not paid in parity. And therefore, they get their training under their belt, they get to be seasoned, and then boom, they move off to yeah. where they're getting better pay, better benefits. So we've, it's a really a broad view of, are we paying our workers enough? Are we getting them the skills they need? Are there career pathways for them to enter into the workforce? Um, and then we can address the homeless issue because we need mental health workers and social workers. <laughs> so these are all the things I'm going to work on. The other is economic vitality. We've missed some opportunities here in Contra Costa County to bring um, good businesses, biotech, uh, other tech industries. Um, you know, I, I sit on what's called the Airport Land Use Commission for the county. <laughs> and that makes decisions in and around uh, the, the airport and in the airport sphere of influence. But in conversations uh, about what's going on at our airports, you know, there are autonomous flying vehicles, just like there's autonomous driving vehicles. All, you know, when we're doing testing out at the Naval Weapon Station, there are autonomous flying vehicles. However, those firms that are down in the in the Silicon Valley, based on flight patterns, they can't test those things down there. Between Oakland, San Jose, Moneta, all those airports down there, the, the flight, the, you know, the skies are full. 
So they've decided, as, as opposed to coming to Buchanan, right here in Central Contagos County, they've moved their autonomous flying vehicle testing all the way to Pendleton, Oregon. And you got a bunch of workers who are not happy about being Bay Area folks and going off to, <clears throat> I don't want to call it the sticks, but, you know, a distant Oregon to do the work when they could have done it right here in Contra Costa County. We missed an opportunity. So there are things we need to do to economically grow and develop right here at home. And, and that brings jobs. That brings the opportunities for housing. All these things that we're looking for, we need to do. So awesome. economic vitality and economic development is a big part of who I am. Yep, yep. So now if somebody wants to help your campaign, you know, we time's running out, <laughs> what can folks do? Yeah, I am looking for support from, uh, you know, volunteers, um, not only to get out and canvas, um, take yard signs, those types of things. So you just go to my website, uh, kencarlson.vote. Yes, it's a real site. I know people think com, net, org, whatever. You go to kencarlson.vote. There's a, a link there to sign up, uh, join the team. Uh, there's an, uh, a donations page, but there's much more information about me and the campaign and what I want to accomplish as we move forward to the future of Contra Costa County. That's awesome. Ken, is there anything else you'd like to say before we go? I just a huge thank you to one to you, Alex, for what you do for Pleasant Hill. Um, these podcasts, your interactions on social media, your fundraising and your and your charity drives. Um, so make sure you get the word out. You got a backpack drive still going, right? Yeah, we got a backpack drive. It's actually it, it was August 1st, but we might actually extend it another week. Um, last year we raised 350, and this year our goal is to raise 500. And actually, last year. We donated 75 of them to the Concord Justice Center. We went there and donated them. And I spoke to some of the folks that worked there and they told me the story. It is, it, it's sad, but at the same time, it, I felt, we felt so good being able to help these children. So yeah. So, it's, it's yeah. A, it, it is such a great organization, has such yeah. broad, broad reach. The fact that you partnered with them is, is huge to me personally. Yeah. But again, it has such a significant impact on the lives of kids that yeah. are faced such challenges, you know, that's right. It's, and, and that should make you, and you should be proud of the work thank you're doing. And I'm proud of you. Thanks so keep you. it up. Thank you. I'm proud of you. And thank you again for your time and um, looking forward to seeing your win in um, November, right? We're up no, November 8th is election yeah. day. So yeah. get your ballots in early as soon as yep. they get out there. Yep. Well, I'm definitely voting for you. So, yep. Good luck. Thank you, sir. Have a great day.